Do you know what divides us from the rest of the world? Do you know what separates us from everyone else in the world? Would you be surprised to hear that what separates us from the rest of the world is a song? In Revelation chapter 14 and verse 3, the Scripture reads, And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. Now, it's not my desire to get into all the symbolic language and all that's meant here within the context, and yet I believe this 144,000 is not a literal number, but is a reference to all those who are children of God. And what does it say divided them from the rest of the world? There was a song that they could learn and nobody else could. As far back as Exodus chapter 15, singing was used by God's people to worship and praise and honor God, to edify and build up God's people. And it continued that way throughout all of the Old Covenant, even into the New Covenant. We know passages in Ephesians and Colossians and examples in Acts. And we see that singing has always been a part of the lives and the worship of God's people. And while I don't understand necessarily all the symbology surrounding this verse in Revelation 14.3, the thing that most impressed me is that when God wanted to demonstrate a symbolic difference between His people and everybody else, He chose singing. How amazing is that? I am afraid at times today we lose sight of exactly how important singing is in our lives and in our worship to God. Singing is one of those things that the people who like it, they get together and do that. And I know, I know, because I've been around long enough that there are folks who are saying, well, I'm glad we're having the singing on Friday night, and all those people who like to sing will sure have a good time, but I've got something better to do. But I want you to keep in mind that what separates us from the world is a song. That is what makes us different. Today, I would like for us to take a look at singing. Let's begin by singing number 389. Number 389, Sing On, Ye Joyful Pilgrims. Number 389. What was singing for? Throughout the history of God's people, as we said, singing has been a part of worshiping God, has been a part of being one of His children. As we look through the Scripture, what do we see as the purpose for singing? Well, obviously, the most basic purpose that we've ever seen is that it was used to praise God. It was used to honor and to glorify Him. Back in Psalm 7 and verse 17, we recognize this. It says, I will give thanks to the Lord according to His righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. That is what singing is about at its most basic and fundamental place in our lives. It is about praising and honoring and glorifying our God. We'll remember Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 and verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Praise was a part of singing. Consider this example of praise in song. In fact, we have songs today written off of this psalm in Psalm 8, verse 1 and 2. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth, who have displayed Your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, You have established strength because of Your adversaries to make the enemy 
and the revengeful cease. What an example of praise. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name. And what a great thing for us to sing as we praise and honor and glorify God. But akin to praise, we see that songs were used as a means of thanksgiving, as a means to express our thanks to God in song. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, the Scripture says, Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Our singing is to be offered with thankfulness because it is a means of thanksgiving. In fact, the earliest songs in Exodus 15 when Miriam and the the women of Israel sang to God, it was a song of thanks. In Judges chapter 5 when Deborah led the Israelites in that song there, it was a song of thanksgiving for having delivered them from their enemies. Praise, thanksgiving, but here's one that we don't often think about. Do we recognize that singing throughout the Scripture was also a means for God's children to express the emotions that were in their heart. Today, in our modern world, it seems that worship among a congregation is all about folks being able to express their emotions. Just whatever's in my heart, I want to be able to just burst it forth and do it however I want. And yet in Scripture, what we see is that the means by which they expressed their emotions in worship to God was through song. They sang. In fact, consider some examples of this. In Psalm 5 and verse 11, it says, Let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy, and may you shelter them, that those who love your name may exult in you. In Psalm 20 and verse 5, We will sing for joy over your victory, and in the name of our God we'll set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. For joy, they sing. In fact, we see that, that singing in Scripture is considered to be the natural response to God based on our happiness and our joy. You remember what James said in James 5.13? Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Now, might I point out as a side note that James 5.13 is not strictly about what we're doing here. Singing ought to be something that's a part of our lives, that, that we rejoice. And when we have that joy before God, singing ought to be a natural response as those songs of joy come to us. But joy is not the only emotion that we see expressed in song. We see despair. In Psalm 22 and verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Keep in mind that a psalm was a song. Here was a song expressing emotion, expressing despair. We see sorrow and regret in Psalm 51. The song that David wrote following his transgression and his repentance after Nathan came to him, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in my sight. And that entire psalm, the psalm of sorrow, a psalm of regret. What we see is that the psalms were used to express emotion. But it's also used to petition God, to offer supplication. We rarely think of singing as praying. But when we are, when we're singing songs to God, requesting things from Him like, abide with me, that's a petition. And songs have always been used in order to petition God. Consider Psalm 51 and verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Or another example, in Psalm 5 and verse 1, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. 
How many of our songs are petitions? Do we treat them that way? As we ask and petition God together in song? But not only is it used to petition in Scripture, and by the way, I realize we're moving very quickly. I've got lots to say and only 20 more minutes to say it, plus several songs. So we are moving quickly, but I have outlines that you'll be able to pick up afterwards and they'll be sitting on the table that you can go through and study all these things. Basically, my whole purpose in this sermon is to just absolutely barrage you with a display of biblical shock and awe to see the place of singing in the Bible and where it ought to be in our lives. It was used to praise, it was used to thank, it was used to express emotion, it's used to petition, and it's used to edify one another. For the most part, we recognize that singing is about praising and honoring and worshiping God, and yet in Scripture we see there's also some manward activity in our singing. As far back as in Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 19, the song that Moses was supposed to teach the children of Israel, it says, Now therefore write this song for yourselves and teach it to the sons of Israel. Put it on their lips in order that this song may be a witness for me against the sons of Israel. They forgot the stone, James. They forgot the song too. Imagine if they had remembered this song, would they have forgotten that stone? It was a witness to them, for them about what God had done. What is this song? It's a song of edification. It's a song of teaching. A song that they were supposed to sing together and with one another to remind one another of what God had done for them. In Psalm 1 and verse 1, again, remember the Psalms were songs. It begins, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the paths of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. What is this? But a song of edification. A song of teaching. Something that's supposed to encourage God's children to do His will. Songs were used for edifying. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. What is, what is one of the purposes of our singing? It's to speak to one another. Colossians 3.16, Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What is it? It's edifying one another. It's teaching one another. But finally, we recognize in Scripture that songs were used not only to praise and thank God, not only to express our emotion, not only to petition God and to teach one another, but are you aware that songs were used as a means of evangelism, as a means of proclaiming the good tidings, the gospel of Jesus Christ? In fact, even in the Old Covenant, in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 23, it says, Sing to the Lord all the earth, proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day. Sing to the Lord and proclaim the good tidings of His salvation. Under the New Covenant, what are those good tidings? We know Romans chapter 10 and verse 15 says, How shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. We're fulfilling this verse when we're singing songs that proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and proclaim what Jesus has done for us. We've already read Acts 16.25, but have you ever thought about the fact that the first step of evangelism that was accomplished here was the fact that Paul and Silas, while other men were listening, were praying and singing hymns of praise to God? They didn't ask the jailer for a Bible study. They didn't go up to him and talk to him about his soul. They were just there in jail, praying and singing. And when the earthquake happened and they stayed, the jailer said, I need what you guys have. Tell me how I can have that. Here's the thing that I want us to understand as we consider the place of singing in our worship and the place of singing in our lives. There are all kinds of people that are saying, what can I do? I, I, I want to work. 
and yet they won't sing. Understand this, when we're singing, we're not just checking off an act of worship. We're not just doing something minor, we are doing something major. We are praising God, we are thanking God, we're edifying others, we're even proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ participating in that. And so as we sing this song, number two from your Hymns for Worship book, Hallelujah, Praise Jehovah, sing it like you're praising God, like you're thanking God, like you are doing something important. Would you please stand as we sing Hallelujah, Praise Jehovah. Why did they sing? As we go through the Scripture, why did they sing? I've just got 20 passages here that I want you to read very quickly. You can study these more later, but just be amazed at all the various reasons that promoted singing. In Exodus 15:1, I will sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted. The horse and its rider He has hurled into the sea. I'm not going to comment much on these. I just want you to read them. He appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised Him in holy attire as they went out before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Ezra 3 and verse 11, They sang, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His loving kindness is upon Israel forever. Psalm 5 and verse 11, But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. And may you shelter them, that those who love your name may exult in you. In Psalm 13 and verse 6, I will sing to the Lord, because He has dealt bountifully with me. In Psalm 20 and verse 5, we will sing for joy over your victory. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. In Psalm 47 and verse 7, for God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a skillful song. Psalm 59 and verse 16, but as for me, I shall sing of your strength. Yes, I shall joyfully sing of your loving kindness in the morning, for you have been my stronghold and a refuge, excuse me, a refuge in the day of my distress. Psalm 59 and verse 17, the very next verse said, O my strength, I will sing praises to you, for God is my stronghold, the God who shows me loving kindness. Psalm 63 and verse 7, For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. Psalm 67 and verse 4, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. I'll comment on this one. Can, isn't that just a great reason to sing praises? Aren't you glad that I'm not the judge? And that when God judges, He'll do so with uprightness? I think we can be thankful for that. Psalm 71 and verse 23, My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, and my soul which you have redeemed. Psalm 98 and verse 1, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done wonderful things. you believe that? you believe that God has done wonderful things? Psalm 119 and verse 172, Let my tongue sing of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. Psalm 147 and verse 1, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is becoming. Jeremiah 20 and verse 13, Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for He has delivered the soul of the needy one from the hand of the evildoers. Zechariah 2 and verse 10, Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Romans 15 and verse 9, And for the Gentiles to glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I'll sing to your name. As they sang, Because salvation has been offered to Him. That's us. We're those Gentiles that ought to give glory because mercy has come to us. 
Colossians 3.16, we've read it before, singing and admonishing with, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness. Hebrews 2 and verse 12, I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. I will explain this one. This is a prophecy of Jesus and what He's doing even today. One of the reasons we ought to sing is because we're singing with Jesus in the congregation, partnering with Him, fellowshipping with Him in what we're doing when we're singing. Why do you sing? This is why they sing. Turn to number 27 in your hymns for worship book. Number 27. Joyful, joyful, we adore Thee. What did they sing? We know the passages that we've often talked about, Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16, they sang psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And at times we might get into big discussions about what exactly are psalms and what are hymns and what are spiritual songs and how are they different. While there may have been some slight difference in all three of these, Paul was not trying to talk about three different kinds of songs. He was just pointing out with emphasis, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's kind of like if you remember the Shakespeare play, the speech that uh, Mark Antony had as he addressed the folks after the death of Julius Caesar. He said, friends, Romans, countrymen. He wasn't talking to three different kinds of people. He was using that triplicate as a means of emphasis. And that's the same thing that Paul is doing here. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. But it does demonstrate that we're not here to sing top 40 hits. We're not here to sing patriotic songs. We're not here to sing our jazz favorites or the big band. We're here to sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. And that's how we worship God. That's how we edify one another in song. But that's not the only thing we see in Scripture. That's what we often talk about. But I'd like for you to notice this passage. This is actually stated twice. In Exodus chapter 15 and verse 2, in Psalm 118 and verse 14, it says, The Lord is my strength and song. What did they sing? They sang the Lord. What did that mean? That meant the topic of their songs was God. They talked about His nature. They talked about His essence. They talked about His will. They talked about His work. They sang about those things. But I think it's also more than that. It's not just here's what we sing about, but it's here's what fills us to sing. It's about our relationship with God. God is so amazing. How could I not sing? You, God, are my song. There's one other passage I'd like for us to notice under this topic. In Psalm 119 and verse 172, Let my tongue sing of your word. This is not just quoting God's word in song, though that would be included, such as songs like Psalm 19 and others that we sing. But it's about the fact that when we sing, we've got to make sure that it's according to God's Word. We're singing of His Word, we're singing by His Word. And I, I, I try, you know, I'm, I'm very careful. I recognize that just, just what a person has written as a song and what they meant by it, I don't have to mean. So I'm not one that just tries to rule out every possible song I can. But I do think we have to be careful. We have to make sure that when we're singing, that what we sing actually teaches the truth. Because remember, we're edifying one another. We're proclaiming the gospel. We want to do it right. And it doesn't matter how beautiful the song is and how much we like it. If it's not teaching the truth, that can't be a part of our worship to God and that can't be a part of our edification to one another. What do they sing? They sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. But in those psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, it was God and His Word. That is what they were singing. Will you pull out your supplemental songbooks? We'll sing number 97. You are the song that I sing. How did they sing? 
Well, we know, and of course we'll point out, that they sang uh, a cappella. They didn't sing with instruments of music. As we look through the New Testament, we recognize that there's absolutely no authorization for singing in worship to God, to sing as worship to God. And when I say in worship, I don't mean from 10 to 11 on Sunday mornings. I mean when we are worshiping God, whether it's us here or individually, there's nothing in Scripture that talks about us using instruments of music to worship God and sing. And I've looked through the New Testament, I've never found authority for that, but I'll have to tell you what has strengthened my resolve the most on this issue is not what I've seen in the New Testament, it's what I found in the Old Testament. Notice how it was in the Old Testament. See, some folks kind of had the idea that in the Old Testament God told them to sing, and they just decided to use instruments of music. But that's not it at all. They used instruments of music because God commanded them to. In Psalm 98, verses 5 and 6, it says, Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with the trumpets and the sound of the horn. Shout joyfully before the King, the Lord. Notice this distinction made in 1 Samuel 18, verses 6 through 7. It doesn't say that singing with instruments is the same as singing without. It demonstrates that playing is one thing and singing is something else. It says the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, with musical instruments. And the women sang as they played and said, Saul is slain his thousands and David is ten thousands. They understood singing and playing are two different things. They did them at the same time often, but they did three things here. They sang, they danced, and they played their instruments of music. I want you to notice one more here in the Old Testament. And I think this just drives it home. In Psalm 87 and verse 7 it says, Then those who sing as well as those who play the flute shall say, All my springs of joy are in you. Do you see under the Old Covenant they recognize there are two different things happening here. There's singing going on and there's playing going on. They didn't play in response to the command to sing. They played in response to the command to play. And therefore I ask under the New Covenant, where's all the authority that we might have for playing an instrument? Well, there actually is one, and that's in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19. It says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. The making melody there. Some folks try to say, oh, that means plucking, so that means plucking an instrument. Well, even if it does, and I'm not going to get into the etymology arguments on that. I'm not a Greek scholar. But what I do know is that even if it does mean that, it tells us which instrument to pluck, doesn't it? The heart is the melody. Have you ever just wondered... You ever just wondered? I think I've used this illustration before, but I'd like to share it with you again. If you walked into somebody's house, and you walked into a room, and there was a piano in the corner, and a guitar in another, and drums, and trumpets, and harps, and saxophone, and an organ, and all that, and, and then you walked into the next room, and there wasn't even a cymbal. There, there wasn't anything. There wasn't even a musical note on the wall. Would you think that that happened accidentally, or would you think that happened on purpose? Would you think that whoever's house you were in, they had it on purpose? That was the music room. This is not. So that's what we do as we walk through the Old Covenant. We see musical instruments everywhere, but then we walk into the New Testament and we don't see them anywhere. I have to think that was done on purpose. What does God authorize? He authorized making melody with our heart. You know, that was not new. Even under the Old Covenant, while they were supposed to sing and were allowed to play, it points out that even then, my soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. They were supposed to use their hearts. But what else? We often talk about that a cappella, but what else about our singing? It's not just singing just because we're doing it without instruments of music. We're supposed to sing with thankful hearts. Colossians 3.16, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Are we singing with thankfulness or are we singing with bitterness because 
because the song leader sings it too high or too low or too fast or too slow, or because that's not my favorite song, or because I'm just having a bad day. We're supposed to sing with understanding. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 15, it says, I shall sing with the Spirit and I shall sing with the mind also. In that chapter, he's dealing with miraculous spiritual gifts. And I believe the concept of singing the Spirit here has to do with those miraculous gifts. Therefore, that part wouldn't necessarily apply to us today, but the singing with the mind, the singing with the understanding, the singing with I understand what we're talking about, that applies today. That means we need to sing in an understandable way. We need to sing clearly. We need to sing things that we understand. If there's a song and you read the words and you don't know what it means, like, here I raise my Ebenezer, look it up. Find out what it means so that you can sing with the understanding. And we're supposed to sing with our hearts. Haven't we already demonstrated that? Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. This is not just going through the motions. This is not just singing with our mouths. This is singing with our hearts. Every part of our being should be involved in what we're doing. So if you would, turn to number 683. Number 683. Just want to close with a few miscellaneous thoughts about singing. We recognize that singing ought to be the natural response to what God has done for us. We read Romans 15 and verse 9 where it talks about the Gentiles glorifying God for His mercy. As it is written... Therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. It's the natural response to what God has done for us. It ought to just be a wellspring that comes out of us because of how excited we are. I mean, could you imagine being at the Super Bowl, and your team is down by five points, and they score a touchdown with ten seconds to go? What would you do? No, of course not. I mean, you wouldn't get, you couldn't control yourself. It would just jump out. You'd be jumping and screaming and hollering. And that's really what singing is supposed to be. It's supposed to be that natural response to how amazing God is and what He has done for us. But having said that, please recognize this contrast in Proverbs 29 and verse 6. Proverbs 29 and verse 6 says, By transgression an evil man is ensnared, but the righteous sings and rejoices. You see the contrast? The righteous sing and rejoice, but the evil man is ensnared. The contrast there demonstrates the evil man's not singing. And one of the things that I want to point out to us is that if we have a struggle with singing, and I'm not just talking about ability, I'm saying if we don't like to sing, if, if we're a person that singing praises to God is, ah, oh boy, you know, man, oh, it's singing night, I'm going to do something else. I'm not saying this is always the case. But what this passage points out is that we need to take a look at our hearts. Because sin will hinder our singing. Whether the sin is a bitter heart, whether it's some kind of moral sin that's going on in our lives, the fact is, sin and spiritual activity just don't coincide. Again, I'm not saying every person who doesn't like to sing is necessarily in sin. I'm just pointing out that if you find yourself saying, I don't like singing, I don't like to go to those scenes, this is a place that you ought to check. Because the righteous sing and rejoice. But having said that, I also want to point out that just because we like to sing doesn't mean we're right with God. Isaiah 24 and verse 16, From the ends of the earth we hear songs, Glory to the righteous one! But I say, Woe to me, woe to me, alas for me! The treacherous deal treacherously, and the treacherous deal very treacherously. Isaiah says, they're singing all over the place. Glory to God. They love to sing. They're having great singing. It's wonderful. 
But singing is about the only thing they're doing. They're not serving God the way they're supposed to. And so, we have that kind of both sides of this. Number one, we don't like to sing. We better take a look at our heart and what's going on in our lives. But just because we like to sing doesn't mean we're the spiritual icons we might like to think that we are. Remember Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 12. I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. What an amazing thing that we get to sing with Jesus Christ. He is with us in our midst. And we can sing with Him. And how we ought to sing out because He is with us. What a great thing God has done for us by allowing us to sing and to praise Him. There's one other thing that I'd like to share with you. I just want to read a series of verses to you. And this is just kind of a side note. I'll throw it in for free. I want you to see if you see a similarity, a theme going through all these verses that I'm about to show you. In Psalm 65, 13, The meadows are clothed with flocks, and the valleys are covered with grain. They shout for joy. Yes, they sing. Psalm 71, 23, My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, and my soul which you have redeemed. Psalm 71, 23. Psalm 81, 1, Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout joyfully to the God of Jacob. Psalm 95, 1, O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Psalm 98 and verse 4, Shout joyfully to the Lord. All the earth break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. Did you see the word that was in every single one of those verses? Shout. Now, I'm not trying to say that when we sing, we're supposed to be screaming recklessly. And I recognize that there are songs that we're going to sing softly. But I just want you to understand that never once in Scripture is murmuring accompanied with song. Singing was a shouting to the Lord. Pulling it from our depths and throwing it out there for everybody to hear. And therefore we'll do as Isaiah 42 verses 10 through 12 says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing His praise from the end of the earth. Let them shout for joy from the tops of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare His praise in the coastlands. As we sing, let's glorify God's name and let's pull it from the depths and shout out glory to the Lord. Number 505. Number 505. Acts chapter 8, verse 39. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. We have so much to rejoice for. And that's why we sing. That's why we're going to be getting together on Friday night to sing. It's not because, oh, we're church and churches ought to be singing. It's because we have so much to rejoice for. A Sunday morning assembly and Sunday night can't contain it. And so we're excited to get together and rejoice because we've been singing. If you pull out your supplemental songbooks, we're going to be singing number 10, The Chorus in Heaven. What a place of rejoicing that is going to be. Here's what I want to share with you. If you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, you may have participated in the singing. You may have enjoyed it. But in reality, you didn't really have a reason to sing. You may be happy because some good things are going on in life. I mean, hey, it's a four-day weekend, three-day weekend. You get tomorrow off, some of you. You might, might have some excitement and some happiness, but in reality, you don't have a real reason to sing. Because the real reason to sing 
is the joy that's found through salvation in Jesus Christ, just like this Ethiopian eunuch. That's where rejoicing is to be found. And one day, those of us who are here that are children of God, that are serving Him, are going to sing with the chorus in heaven, and we want you to be there. We hope that you will find a reason for joy in Jesus Christ, submitting to Him and allowing Him to wash your sins away. He shed His blood so that you could be saved. And we would like for you to be able to sing with us with joy here and in heaven. As we sing this song, number 13 in the supplemental book, The Chorus in Heaven, if you haven't become a child of God, why not come forward this morning and let us help take care of that? Submitting to Jesus in baptism for the remission of your sins based upon your faith and desire to turn away from your sin. If we can help you, won't you come right now?